0: I sit in this chair every Sunday. It's this purple chair that changed my life. It was in this chair that I found God. Members of this church sacrificed so that I could have a seat here at Cornerstone. It's in this chair I found hope, I found love, and I found family at Cornerstone. Cornerstone made a place for me. They made room for me. And now it's my turn to make room for someone else so that they can experience God in their own purple chair. Hey, you and I are in the middle of making a critical decision about the future of our church. We're gonna decide uh, whether or not to build some more buildings. And I believe that how we decide that and what we decide about that is going to literally affect our entire future. We, we will not be the same after we get done together making this decision. We're either going to decide to sit down and say, hey, good enough is good enough. I, I'm okay because I've got my purple chair. Or we're going to say, you know what? We just aren't done seeing what God could do with the church. It's completely sold out to him. And we've got plenty of purple chair stories. Guys, we just watched baptism. We've got plenty of purple chair stories. We just don't have enough purple chairs to contain all that God is doing uh, in this place. And, And just in case you're sitting here today and you're going, well, you know, hey, the building's full. So, you know, maybe we're done. Maybe the assignment's over. As you drove to church today, did you notice how many cars were on the freeway? How many cars were on surface streets of people heading to church somewhere? And then watch tomorrow on those same freeways and those same surface streets, and you'll know we are nowhere close to changing our community for God yet. There's a lot of work to be done. And our buildings can't be the thing that hold us back. So here's what we're planning to do. Here's what we're planning next Sunday. I mean, we're coming on this next Sunday. Uh, we're gonna talk about uh, making, ple- we're gonna make our pledges together. We've been doing a study in Nehemiah, because we're in a building program and Nehemiah was in a building program, his heart was to go and build the walls of Jerusalem that had been torn down. And next Sunday, our heart, our passion is, and you see all the bricks that are sitting off to the sides, our heart and passion is to move 1,300 bricks together, 1,300 pledges together. And if we can get it done, then we're gonna be able to build a building. Uh, For those that are in Santan, Uh, This is all about saving up a down payment. This is all about anticipating what God is going to do there in the Santan Valley and being ready when God makes a building available to be able to jump on that opportunity because you and I were already expecting ahead of time that God was going to provide a building. And so we're asking Santan to do just as much as we're asking Chandler to do, maybe more because you guys don't have your purple chairs yet. And so next Sunday, we're going to come to that moment. We're going to, we're going to come in with our commitments. We're going to build a wall together. Hopefully. Hopefully. Next Sunday. Grab your Bibles. We're going to go to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to continue our conversation. We're going to continue our story. If you're not real familiar with where uh, Nehemiah is in the Bible, go uh, basically to the middle. The easiest way to get there is open your Bible in the middle. If you do that, Nehemiah is going to be slightly to the left. Let me ask you a question. How is it possible that there are moments when Christians, considering the same decision, thinking about the very same thing, who actually, are you ready? Actually go to God in prayer as they get ready to make the decision, come back with two totally different answers. How is it possible that one half of the group says, no, 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 this is exactly what we ought to be doing. This is exactly how we ought to be behaving. This is exactly the decision that we ought to make. And the other half of the group says, no, 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 there's no way. There's no way that's the right decision. There's no way that's the right answer. I absolutely will have nothing to do with that decision. How is it possible? That a group of people, all of which love God, all of which were trying to discern God's will, can come away with two completely different answers about the same decision. Isn't that interesting? And here's what I just want to toss out: Is it possible? Is it possible that as they did that, the two, the groups processed the decision differently? That one of the groups said, "Hey, if God is in this." then I need to be in it. If this is what God is doing, then I need to be doing it with God. And is it possible that others, trying to make the same decision, said, you know, I'm just telling you, I've tried to add this up on my fingers. See, I've looked at my bank account. I've I've considered the circumstances, and, and I'm just telling you, this doesn't add up. There's no way this turns out good. Is it possible one half of the group Process the decision with earthly wisdom instead of spiritual eyes. And that's how a group of Christians looking at exactly the same decision, exactly the same moment in time, can come up with two completely different answers about the same moment. And you and I are going to process today, I think, a moment as Nehemiah goes to build the wall when exactly that happens. And there will, there will be those who will say, Nehemiah, building the wall is the wrong idea. Nehemiah, building the, building the wall would be a disastrous decision. And matter of fact, they're going to get so frustrated with Nehemiah for going forward and building the wall that they're actually going to side with the enemies of God and oppose building the wall and try to kill Nehemiah before it's all said and done. A group of people looking at exactly the same decision coming up with exactly opposite answers. Here we go. Grab your Bibles. It's Nehemiah chapter 2. Let me give you a little bit of background. Here's what's happened. Last week, if you remember, Nehemiah goes to the king. He says, look, is there any way that you would allow me to go back to Jerusalem and to build the wall? And the king says, sure, I'll do that. And if that weren't enough, Nehemiah then presses the king and says, here, would you write me some letters so that as I travel to Jerusalem, all of the other countries and all the other kings will give me safe passage. And the king says, well, sure, I'll write you some letters. And he says, well, you know, one more thing, is there any chance that you'd let me cut down the king's forest in order to build the gates to build the wall? And the king says, well, yeah, sure, I'd let you do that. And it it, it appears that it is so obvious that God has turned even the heart of a pagan king to be part of this project. I mean, it just would seem simple that this is what God's doing and why would you never be a part of it? Nehemiah gets uh, to Jerusalem. There are the enemies of Israel all around and he knows that they're gonna be upset about a wall building project. He knows that's gonna make Jerusalem that much more secure, that much more stable, and that the enemies of the Israelites are gonna do everything they can to stop it. And so, uh, Nehemiah goes to inspect the walls, but he inspects it at night so that nobody will even know what he's in the process of doing. And, And he rides around in the dark Uh, inspecting the broken down walls. And the interesting thing is, is that it's worse than Nehemiah thought. The project is bigger than he had anticipated. And yet he's not daunted. (laughs) He's just that much more resolved to get it done. And a matter of fact, the next day after he's inspected the walls, this is the conversation that he has. It's Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Here's what it says. Then I, this is Nehemiah speaking, then I said to them, to all the people living there in Jerusalem, you see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace." I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king has said to me. He says, look, look, guys, this has to be of God. I mean, God's already provided me safe passage. He allowed the king to allow me to come. He's already providing the wood for the gates. I mean, come on, God is already in this. They replied, ready? Let us start rebuilding. And so they began the good work. Verse 19. But when Sambalot, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Gershom, the Arab, heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any historic right to it. So, get the, here's what's interesting to me. From the very moment that Nehemiah starts to talk about building this wall, immediately he's confronted with opposition and criticism. Immediately. Sambalot steps up and says, this is, this is horrible. How dare you do this? And begins to actually question Nehemiah's motives. Are you rebelling against the king by what you're doing right now? Now here's my question. Why? Why is Sanballat standing against the walls? What's what's motivating him to give Nehemiah a hard time? Maybe, maybe he's just an evil man. Maybe he just hates anything that has anything has anything to do with God and he just says, look, if God's in this, then I'm against it. Maybe. But isn't it more likely that Sambalot has simply looked at the project. And he said, look, I don't get it. This looks like a horrible idea. See, I, I've, I've considered what this means. I've thought about the sacrifice, I've thought about the inconvenience, and I'm just gonna tell you, this just doesn't add up for me. I've got really, really good reasons why we shouldn't go forward with the project. Matter of fact, I, I can think of four reasons that Sambalot might potentially have. One, one is this. You, you realize Israel is, is an agrarian society. Uh, you've got to go out in the spring and plant the crops. You've got to harvest the crops. You've got to tend your farms. Building this wall is going to take months, if not years. They will miss planting the crops. They will miss the harvest time. And then what do you eat? See, so maybe may, may, may Sanballat's thinking to himself, look, look, We're already in a tenuous moment. Our enemies are already watching every move we make. Nehemiah, that's why you had to ride around at nighttime. If we begin to build this wall, we will only stir a hornet's nest. We're going to be under constant attack. The enemies, our enemies are going to take this as a moment of rebellion. They're going to come and get us. It's a horrible idea, Nehemiah. Maybe he's thinking about the debt. Maybe he's going, you realize what this is going to cost? there's, there's a ton of money involved in this. Matter of fact, guys, he's right. Because by the time they're done, because the farmers don't have the chance to plant their crops. And now as they go into the building project and have to feed their own families, these guys mortgage their own farms. They go into debt so that they can spend their days working on the wall. And maybe Sambalot just says, that that's just such a what a horribly unwise decision. Maybe it's the economy. Maybe Sambalot's saying, look, we're we're still trying to recover from when the Babylonians invaded. I mean, we're we're just now on the upcycle. This is this is too much, too early, too soon. Why in the world would we get involved in a major building project right now? And isn't it possible that Sambalot in this moment just simply says, Look, I can give you four really good reasons why going forward right now just doesn't make sense. I've I've figured it out on my fingers and it's just a bad decision. It's it's a dumb move. Here's the problem, Sanballat is considering the will of God based on human wisdom. And he's right. He's right. Humanly speaking, this is not a very wise project. But here's the trouble. Sambalot is asking the wrong question. The question that he ought to be asking is simply this Is God in it? Because here's the deal, you need to know. If God is in it, that trumps human wisdom. Every time. Matter of fact, I'm going to suggest to you that God delights in taking you and me to places where what he is about to do does not add up. It doesn't make sense. Matter of fact, if you try to process the will of God by going, well, no, wait a minute, I can, I can understand the tuition and I, I you know, I, I've been setting money aside and this is what I can afford. And if you and I try to decide the will of God based on what we can add up on our fingers and does it make sense, would my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus understand my decision? If that's how you process, you will never know the will of God. Because, because you ready for this? Because God delights in taking us to the very edge of human wisdom. To a moment in which you say, boy, if we go any further, if we do anything else, it's just stupid. It would be crazy to take another step. And then God invites you and me to take the next step. You think I'm wrong? Ask Moses. Moses. And God comes to Moses. says, Moses, I've got this really great plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to free Israel. And Moses goes, a great plan. I like the plan. Here's how we're going to do the plan. I'm going to send you back to talk to Pharaoh. Bad plan. Bad plan. I, God, you don't get it. I'm wanted for murder back there. The first thing they'll do is lock me up. And God, look, look, look. you're going to ask me to go talk to Pharaoh. I'm, I'm a lousy public speaker. God, God, God. I like the idea of just bad plan. It doesn't add up. There is no human wisdom here. And God says, I know. That's the part that's so cool because here's the deal. When I do what I'm going to do, everybody's going to know that it was me and that it wasn't you, Moses. And God takes Moses right to this place where human wisdom fails. And he says, now, step out by faith. And guys, isn't it true that the wonder of God and the delight of God always happens when you and I get to the moment that goes, look, this doesn't add up, and I don't know how it comes out, and and if God doesn't show up, I'm going to fail. And then in that moment, you and I say, but my faith in God is greater than the hesitation of my human wisdom, and I choose to obey by faith. If you don't think this is true, then you have not yet begun to understand how God deals with us, that God delights in taking us to the place that says, I can't, it won't happen, it's not possible, and then God says, trust me. And this is where the glory, of, the glory of God never happens in our human capacity and our human ability. It always happens when you and I step by faith. You see, here's the deal. And here's what I think is happening with Sam Blott. He is processing the moment in human wisdom. And he says, in human wisdom, this is gonna stir up our enemies. In human wisdom, this is gonna cause debt. In human wisdom, this just doesn't make any sense. We gotta plant our crops. And Nehemiah says, I know, that's okay. But this is what God has asked us to do. And by faith, not knowing exactly how God will provide or what he'll do, you and I have got to step out and do this next. So here's what I'm just going to say to you. As you and I pray about what we're going to do together and process this moment together, be careful, be careful, be careful in evaluating what God is doing by your own human abilities and capacities. Be careful about deciding whether you're in or whether you're out based on what your wallet looks like. Because if you do, you may end up opposing God. You may end up pulling a out. It's why we've been saying to you guys, look, 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 look. No one has said to you, hey, go look in your checkbook and see what you have left over every month. Nobody has said to you, "Uh, hey, try to go do overtime. This is not about does it add up or does it work? What we've said to each other is, you ready? Pray. Say to God, God, look, is this something you want me to do? Is this something that you're in and you're involved in? We've said pray and then obey. And I'm just going to tell you guys, and you need to get your hearts ready and understand the moment, I promise you, whatever God says to your heart is not going to calculate in human wisdom whatever sacrifice God lays on your heart to do, you're not gonna go, oh, I can, that's easy. It will require faith. It will require you saying, wow. If God doesn't show up, I don't know how this works. You know, it's interesting because I think you and I look at the moment when Nehemiah goes to build the wall and we go, look, look, look! this is obvious. I mean, it's obvious. Jerusalem needs a wall. Why in the world would anybody oppose it? But you realize you and I are looking back 2,500 years. You and I are looking at a moment in Scripture in which it's clear, and God's already declared, hey, I'm in this, and this is what I'm doing." But I guarantee you, if you're Sambalot, if you're one of the Israelites who's hesitating, here's what you're saying. You're saying, look, I don't see this anywhere in Scripture. I don't see a single verse that says, thou shalt build the wall. Chances are you're going… So here's this Nehemiah character, he's come from out of town, now he wants to stir the pot, get us all in trouble, get us in the middle of a expensive building project on the deal, and chances are, when it's all over, he's going back to the king's court, and we're left with all of it. I think all this guy wants is to build something for his glory, so we can go, look at the great wall Nehemiah built, there's gonna be a little plaque on the bottom that says, Nehemiah was here. And I guarantee you, in this moment, they're just going, look, I, it, it's not. In this moment, when the enemies are looking at you and when, when you're talking about a heck of a lot of money and we're talking about not planting our crops, I'm just telling you, this doesn't feel very obvious. Matter of fact, here's what I would suggest to you. I would suggest to you that the moment you and I are in, this moment that we're asking the question about whether or not to build buildings or not to build buildings, I'm going to suggest to you that our answer is way more obvious than their answer, that that you and I ought to be able to come to this conclusion so much more simply than they did. Here's why. Grab your Bibles. Go with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. It's going to be to the right, Matthew chapter 28. This is Jesus. And as Jesus finishes his earthly ministry, as he gets ready to go back to heaven, he hands the baton off to the disciples. He says, okay, I've finished my thing, but now you've got to carry on my ministry. You've got to do what I already did. You've got to make God famous. You've got to turn the hearts of men and women toward God. This is, this is what you're to do. And here's Jesus giving the marching orders to the church. You ready? It's Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them, the disciples, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, look, you're to do two things. You're to do two things. You're to win as many people as you can to Jesus. You're, you're to tell everybody this story. You're to redeem the hearts of men and women. You're to not ever grow, you're just to tell this as many times as you can. And then once someone becomes a Christian, your job is to grow them up. That's it. That's our whole march here. Win them, grow them. Win them, grow them. Win them, grow them. You say, well, wait, 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 wait. I thought our job was to teach the Word. It is. So that we can... Grow them so that we can win them. So, Len, whoa, whoa, whoa no. I, I thought the reason the church existed was for community. No, no, no. We do community so that we can grow them because you and I grow better when other Christians are pushing into our lives and calling us into account and pointing out areas of our life that need work. And people who don't know Jesus, when they come into the community of the church and suddenly see the difference in our lives, are made jealous to know this Jesus that they don't know. You say, well, then, I I thought the purpose of the church was to pass this on to the next generation so that they can win them and grow them. And guys, at the end of the day, this is why you and I exist. If a church does anything besides winning people to Jesus and growing up Christians, then all that church is doing is rearranging furniture on the deck of the Titanic. This is why we exist. And guys, at the end of the day, think about the moment we're in. You and I are sitting in services on Sunday that are overflowing, and we're using overflow rooms. We've got children's rooms where they're actually closing the room because there's too many kids in them, and we're turning people's children away. We took our best maturity room, and we turned it into an overflow room. We're meeting in tents outside. We're walking across sharp shards of rocks and making people bleed to get to Jesus. When we built this building guys, when we pulled the trigger to build this building, there were 1400 of us, which means this, when we committed to build this building, we had the capacity to fill this building one time with the congregation. Do you realize that you and I have paused and that you and I have delayed so long on making this decision, that if you and I do not grow over the next three years as we build these new buildings, we already will fill the buildings up twice. That's how far behind we are on making this decision. If you're struggling, I'm just, I'm just going to be bold. If you're struggling about whether or not we ought to be involved in building some buildings and making more room for purple chairs, why? 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 Is it possible that the reason you're struggling is because you've tried to add it up with earthly wisdom? You've tried to say, hey, you know, I don't have any spare cash right now, and, and you know, I, I mean, I don't know how the economy... I mean. Is it possible that your struggle has nothing to do with whether or not it's right or wrong? It's just that it doesn't add up in human wisdom for you. If you're hesitating, Why? Sanballat is about to talk himself out of being able to do something eternal. (laughs) He's he's about about to miss his opportunity for God. Matter of fact, if you go back to Nehemiah, here's here's how Nehemiah answers him in verse 20. I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We're going to build this wall, with or without you, we're going to build this wall. We his servants will start rebuilding. As for you, you ready? As for you, you have no share. He's saying, look, look, you're gonna sit and watch and you're gonna observe, and all the rest of us are gonna put our shoulders in, we're gonna do this. But just know at the end of the day, when God blesses and you have no share. And these guys are gonna go back to planting crops? and they're probably gonna save a little bit of money, but they're gonna miss. They're gonna miss the opportunity to do something eternal. And you go, well then, whoa, 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 wait. They're talking about building a wall. What do you mean eternal? It's building a wall. We're talking about building a building. What do you mean eternal? Because here's the deal, these these buildings we're gonna build, they're gonna get old and decay and, you know, be worn out some, you're right, you're right. It's not that the buildings are eternal, it's that joining God is eternal. It's about being part of God's plan and what he's doing has eternal value to it. Let me read you a verse. You don't have to go there. It's in Matthew. It's chapter 16. Here's what Jesus said. What good is it for a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the son of man, that's Jesus talking about himself, the son of man, that's his title, is going to come in his father's glory with the angels. And then he will, you ready? He will reward each person according to what he has done. Jesus said, look, you just need to, you need to live your life knowing that someday you'll stand to give an account for what you've invested your life in, and I'm going to reward you as to whether or not you've invested your life in doing temporary things that didn't matter and only were successful in this world, or did you spend your life doing things that were eternal and joining God? in what God was doing. And a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter three talks about this moment, says, look, it's gonna be like a fire, there's gonna be, they're gonna take the entirety of your life and we're gonna to toss it in the fire and, and much of what people have done is gonna be like wood, hay and stubble. And, and when you take that part of their life and throw it uh, into the fire, it's just gonna burn up. It, it, it's, it's just gonna be gone. But some of what's cast in the fire, because it really was done in the name of Jesus, because it really was eternal, it's going to come out like gold, silver, and precious stone. It will last. Guys, here's what you and I've got to get in the moment. Do you realize that the vast majority of what we do in our lives is destined to burn up? Let me just say that again. The vast majority of what you and I do with our lives is destined to burn up. See, you and I pay house payments… There's nothing eternal about house payments. They burn up. You you and I make car payments. There's nothing in eternity about car payments. They burn up. You and I have a cabin, it burns up. We send our kids to soccer practice. That burns up. You realize, guys, guys, cable TV, The vast majority of what you and I invest, our time, our talent, you realize it all burns up. And then what Jesus is saying, there is an opportunity to do something that has eternal values. It's what Jesus meant when he says, hey, don't lay up your treasures on earth. Lay up your treasures in heaven. Spend your life doing something that has eternity written on it. And the million-dollar question for all of us today is out of of everything that slips out of your hands, how much of it actually has eternity written on it? And my guess is far, far too little. See, here's what's going to happen if you're not careful you're gonna hear us talking about making sacrificial pledges and you're gonna go, oh, one more bill. One, One, you know, I've already got enough bills and now you're asking me to take on another bill. And guys, if you're thinking in human terms, then you're right. This is just one more, we're asking you to take on another payment in your life. But if you're thinking eternally, and suddenly you go, wait, 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 wait. You mean some of that money that leaves my hand frivolously, you mean some of that money that, that that up until now was burning up. You mean I can go back and snatch from the flames something that was only gonna last the 80 years of my life, and I now can invest in something that lasts for eternity. Then you would suddenly in that moment go, Oh my goodness, this is not a burden, this is the greatest opportunity to do something that is eternal. It would change everything if you understood the truth of what Jesus just taught. You you wouldn't be upset. You'd be going, this is the greatest opportunity ever. I I get to invest in a place that's winning hundreds and hundreds of people to Jesus. I get to do something that has eternity written all over it. If you're going to opt out, if you're, if you're going to be one of the families that doesn't participate, then tell me this, I mean, please tell me this, tell me the reason you're not participating is because you found another ministry, you found something that's even more eternal, you found something that's being more effective at winning people to Jesus Christ, and you've taken that same amount of money and you've put it over here because you believe you're going to get a better return than a church that's winning hundreds and hundreds of people to Jesus, that's growing people up like crazy. If you're going to opt out, tell me it's not because you're trying to burn up that money. Tell me it's because you found a better place to invest it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to come back next week. And we're gonna, we're gonna make our pledges. And all of us all of us should have had a pledge packet. Is there anybody in here say, hey Lynn, I don't have a pledge packet, I burned up my pledge packet, I, I, I need a pledge packet. If you need a pledge packet, raise your hand right now. Because we're coming back next Sunday with our pledges. And we need to move 1,300 bricks. Every single pledge is a brick. And we need to move 1,300 bricks. And I'll just say to the Chandler campus, if you're sitting in this room, there's about 1,300 ifs in this room right now, but divide that in half by families. That means there's only about 600 potential pledges in this room, which means, guys, you ready for this? We need everyone. And if you're a leader, we've asked you to pray about and consider, would you give 5% of your income above what you're already giving? And I'm just gonna tell you, scores of your leaders have done it. We're still waiting on some of our leaders to step in. We have asked you as the congregation, would you follow the lead of your leaders? Would you consider 3%? Would you consider 3% of your income above what you're already giving? Here's my guess. My guess is that there are hundreds of us in this room who don't tithe. And we've said in our hearts, hey, someday I'm gonna tithe. I'm gonna get that part of my life into alignment and obedience to God. What better moment to take a step in the right direction? Three percent. At that rate, it'd still take you four years to ever get to full obedience. But, but what greater opportunity when God is moving and there's something so clear about what, what greater moment than to say, you know what, by faith, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move three percent into this thing. I, I'm gonna start pushing my family into obedience to Christ. Even though this has taken a ton of faith and it's terrifying and I don't know where the money comes from. I'm going to do the 3%. We calculated up 1,300 bricks, we're 1,300 bricks from getting this done, and we divided that up. And so here's what we came up with. You could actually move a brick. Each brick represents one of the new purple chairs. You could buy a purple chair for somebody who's not here. You could move a brick. For 150 bucks a month $75 a paycheck and I'm just gonna tell you it's easier if you divide it up each paycheck 75 bucks and if you would do that as a family you'd move a brick we've got single moms in the room and you go look I've only got one income $38 $38 each paycheck would move a brick and guys you realize stop and think about that $75 a paycheck That's a cup of Starbucks a day. That's five bucks a day. You could could be part of what God is doing. You could take, you could take and brew your own coffee and do something eternal. Starbucks is gonna go, what's going on? They go, those crazy Christians at Cornerstone, they're building a building. For that level of sacrifice, a cup of Starbucks a day, you and I could touch eternity. And I'm just gonna say, there's not a reason in the room why we wouldn't. So $75 a paycheck, $150, you would move a brick, you'd buy a purple chair for somebody who's not here yet. You'd touch eternity. I just want us to pray right now. I want us to pray real quick about what we're gonna do next week, and then we're gonna go on a prayer walk real quick. We're stopping the service early so you have that opportunity, and I'm gonna explain that to you in just a second. So let's pray, and then we're gonna go do something really, really cool together. Dear Lord Jesus, we just simply come to you in the moment, and God, we, we need to be praying differently. We need to be saying, God, are you in this? Is this what you want us to do? Because if, if this is what your plan is, it doesn't matter if it adds up on our fingers, and it doesn't matter if it makes human sense to us. We, we believe you may be inviting us into a moment of faith in a moment in which we say, look, I don't have that money in my bank account. I don't, I don't know where that money is gonna come from, but I choose, I choose to simply trust that you'll provide for me if I make this commitment to the wall, if I step in to being and doing what you're doing. God, May there not be a one of us who opts out of this because it doesn't add up in human reason. Don't let any of us be sambalot. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's what we're gonna do together, guys. We're stopping the service early. We did this on purpose. We want you to go take a prayer walk. And guys, I'm just gonna say this with boldness. I can't imagine why anyone would not go on a prayer walk. I can't imagine why anyone in a moment when they're trying to figure out what God wants to do in their lives wouldn't take a few minutes and pray. And so I'm just going to call you out and say, men, take your families. And we're going to give you the opportunity to go pick up your children if you want to. What a great memory for your children to go, I remember the day I walked around with mom and dad and we prayed about what our family was going to do for God. You'd be creating a legacy. So if you've got grade school kids, we're going to encourage you to pick them up if you've got early childhood kids and that could be ugly, you can leave them in the room. But if you've got grade school kids, go get them. This is gonna be a legacy for them. And here's what we're gonna do, you're gonna walk outside, we're gonna give you a flag and you're gonna write your family name on the flag. I've already got my flag out there. And when you take that flag, here's what you're committing, you're not committing to a pledge, you're committing to say, I will pray and I will obey. That's what you're committing, I will pray and I will obey. And then, as soon as you get that flag, you're gonna take off, you'll see the first sign, we're gonna go to each of the buildings and we're gonna pray and say, God, would you do something amazing inside of this building? Would you change lives inside of this building? And once we've made the circuit, there's a little card on the table that shows you the circuit. You're gonna get back over here, we'll be right on the edge of the tram path, and we're gonna line the tram path with the flags of families saying, We are Cornerstone, and we are gonna pray, and we are gonna obey whatever God tells us to do next. How cool would it be to walk on the campus next week and see hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands of flags of families saying, we will pray, and we will obey. You need to be sure your family's flag is there. This is who we are. So you ready? Get up, go out those doors, Grab your kids, grab your flags.